As we prepare to hear from God's word this morning, I just want to point out to you what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit and his role in what's happening here this morning as we come together. In John 16, Jesus, talking of the Spirit, says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So as we go to our time of the preaching, proclaiming the, of God's word, I want us just to stop and pray for just a moment for the illumination of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our minds because without that, it's a waste of time. So let's just go to him in prayer before uh, Paul comes to share the word with us. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us. Uh, we pray this morning that uh, as your word is proclaimed, as is open and clearly taught and spoken, that your Holy Spirit would come and guide us in all truth, that you would open our hearts to see clearly who you are and what you've done for us, that we would see the importance of valuing and treasuring your word, that uh, you would just apply that to our hearts, that we would leave here changed, having come closer to you, having seen you more fully. We pray that you would just move freely in this place, uh, just convicting us where we need to be convicted, uh, encouraging us where we need encouragement. We just pray that this time would be pleasing and honoring to you and that all the words that are spoken today would just be clearly in accord with your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Good morning. What a privilege to stand before you today, and I'm excited about it. I, for those of you that don't know me and that are used to seeing J.P., uh, I hope you're not sitting there going, boy, he looks different today. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, he's probably going to look like this in about 30 years, so <laughs> hang on. Uh, it is exciting, though, to be able to stand in. And uh, our young pastors had a great week last week that you'll hear more about, and I'm thrilled to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. Today, uh, you notice the topic or the name of the sermon was this little light of mine. I gave it to Mark and I battled all week with what it should be. And then after I had given it to him and he would printed it in the bulletin, I thought, well, it really should have said, are you a culture warrior? But I've got several. But the idea is that as we go along this morning, I'm praying that God will put this incredible desire in your heart that he's, hmm, I'm a lot like him, I've got to tell you, uh, put this incredible desire in your heart to want to know God's Word. It becomes so apparent to me, of all the things that are lacking in America, that is one of the things that I fear is, is lacking in an incredibly sad way. So with that said, today's sermon is not going to be an exegetical sermon, which I believe so strongly in. I was telling Gil a moment ago, I was a little off kilter all week because I believe so strongly in taking a passage of Scripture and working my way through it but God put it on my heart that we should have a little a topical discussion this morning, if you will, about God's Word and about hiding it in our heart. So with that, if you'll bear with me for about ten minutes, I'm going to take you through a track that you're going to think, is he going to get to God's Word? I promise you we're going to jump right into the middle. But it's important that we look at this environment, I think, that we're a part of today in order to set the stage. And before I do that, if you would bow with me in prayer, I'd appreciate it. Father, I love you. I thank you for these people. I thank you for the opportunity to come into your house and worship. I pray that you'll be in our midst this morning and that we will honor and glorify you in every word that's spoken and every thought that we have. I just pray, Father, that you will give us the desire as a people to know your word. 
It's not something I can put into any man. Only you can do that. And I pray, Father, that you will give this group the desire to want to know your word, to hide it in your heart. Bless our time together. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I want to talk to you about a simpler time. And for those of you that are under 15 years of age, you're probably not going to have a real good idea of where I'm going for a moment. But a time when people were not being confronted by so many things. Uh, I would dare say that if I ask you to raise your hands, you, there are a bunch of you that know what I'm talking about. Sarah Diefenderfer is here somewhere. Sarah, where are you? Would you? There she is. Tell me how old you are. Nine years old. Thank you very much. I look at somebody like Sarah or Isaac Koshel that I think is ten. And I look at these young people and I think where they are today, I'm not sure I was ever there, but where they are today, I go back to that place in my life. And you know, for those of you that are really young this morning, when I was your age, we had a radio in my house. There was not a TV at that age. Now I'm going back, I hate to tell you, but I'm going back 55 years uh, to get to that. But there wasn't one. There was, uh, early on though, two or three years later, there was a television. And I believe when that television came into my house, it was an exciting moment, had I only known what it was going to evolve to. But at that time, there were only three or four channels that showed up on TV. You remember those days? Look at all these old heads bobbing up and down. <laughs> I love it. There were only three or four channels. And, you know, somebody helped me. They, it went off the air at, what, midnight? Midnight. midnight. And... And there was nothing on from midnight till 6 o'clock in the morning. And that re- leads me to why my father always said nothing good happens after midnight. So, um, but it went off, and, and, uh, and I was glad, and I was very rarely there at 10 watching it or 11 watching it when I was growing up. We had one theater in my hometown, and it had one screen. Now, there was a period of time that there were two. One of them didn't make it. Um, but it was one screen on that TV, I mean on that uh, movie theater, and if you went, you were going to see that movie. You had no choices. There were no computers in households when I was your age, Sarah. There were none. No computers. Um, there were no electronic games. There were no iPads or iPods or I whatever there are, iPhones. There were very few televised events, and when I say an event, there were no Super Bowls. There were no NBA championships played early on in the TV phenomenon. There were no malls. You, you couldn't shop on TV. Um, there, were no, uh, there were no lots of things in those days. But you know what? I didn't know it. I didn't miss those things. They were not, I didn't know anything about them. The big time in my family was when the J.C. Penney catalog or the Montgomery Ward catalog came in the mail. Now, we didn't fight, but we sat patiently in line to go through and to look and to dream and to see what was there. And remember when the Sears Christmas catalog came? Wow, that was a big day. And, you know, I look at that, and that's why I say to you it was a simpler time. It was a simple time, and I was talking with one of my 80-plus-year-old octogenarian friends a few weeks ago, and he made an interesting comment to me. We were talking about the choices that people have today in this world that we live in. It's a myriad of choices, good and bad. They're all over the place. And he said that he feels like, in thinking about it, that he is confronted with more choices in one day of his life today than he was confronted with in many weeks as a young person. And I think about that in terms of what that means for us today. And I think it's also important to go back and think about my dad and my grandfather. You know, the things that they deemed so important in their life early on 
are not things that many people consider important today. The important issues have changed. And the reason is there are so incredibly many choices to be made. There are an enormous number of choices that people have. And I hate to tell you that many of those choices are not good choices, but they're there all the same. And what's really amazing to me is it says we have to prioritize in our life what we need to do and where we need to be. And if you're not using this tool to prioritize your life, I'm convinced that we're not being where we need to be. And so I want you to think on that as we develop this passage this morning. It's almost as if Satan... It's not almost as if it is Satan's way of saying, realizing that the more choices there are, the more confusion that can be ushered into our society today, it's easier to confuse people or divide their minds. And we live in a world where it's not hard for a person's mind to be divided by these choices. My first case in point, how many of you have witnessed the man-on-the-street interviews that late-night TV personalities do from time to time? They do it in a humorous vein where they randomly pick three or four people on the street and ask them a series of questions that you would think most people know the answer to. Are you familiar with those? And what's really interesting to me is this. Last week I saw one, in, or within the last few weeks, the example was who is the Vice President of the United States? You would think that would be on the tip of most people's tongues. 30% of the people responded correctly. A lot of them probably would have gotten it, but at the moment, you know, trying to, at least that's what I said. Uh, I couldn't believe it, 30%. But another question was, do you know who the, when the next presidential election will be? And they thought this is going to be very simple because... If you turn on the TV or you watch news or listen to the news or read a newspaper, it's front and center. And so I thought, surely this was going to be better. Nah, wasn't much better. 35, 40% of the respondees were able to say, they did say 2012 a few, but did, how many do you think knew the month of the election? Zero of the group that they polled, which is pretty amazing to me. Uh, now, there were, they were doing different segments. This was one segment. I'm sure there were other segments that did much better. But I got to thinking about it, and I thought, that's pretty strange. Well, there was an amazing series of questions. There are two more I want to share with you because the responses, while on one hand, when playback on TV, appear humorous, when you really think about it, it goes to my point about our minds being divided with all the choices that we face today. One of those had to do with who you believe will be the nominee for president in the Republican Party. It is rare that you will ever hear me mention politics in God's house. I don't think it should be there, but I'm using it for an illustration that I think you'll understand in a moment. Everyone's going to know this. They're going to have an idea of who it is. One man said this. I thought it was really cool. He said, the rich man from Maine. He was shocked to learn that he was from Massachusetts, by the way, when they shared it with him. But I thought, that's a guy that we should be proud to have out there polling for us. Or how about the fellow who said, I think it's going to be Rick Santorini. Um, but the most surprising answer came from a woman who was really self-assured, and she said, there's no doubt in my mind, Barack Obama will be the Republican nominee. Uh, so I, I kind of lay that at your feet. Where have these people been? You know, we have always been, had disengaged groups of people in the world that we live in. There's no doubt about that. But it appears to me today that there are more than ever. And my reason for sharing this is that I found it interesting when these questions are played back later on on TV, it's a laughable moment. 
But, you know, when these questions turn from political and economic issues to sports-related and to pop culture issues, what do you think happened? The responses went up dramatically, which goes to my point that people choose what it is they want to be engaged in, and they get sidetracked or off-kilter pretty easy today because of the many choices. Well, I find the fact today that we're so focused on insignificant issues to be very disheartening. And I lay that in front of you this morning, especially since there are many issues that we should be knowledgeable about. There are things that we should be excited about. There are things that we should be dealing with. And I tell you that because God's Word specifies those things. And my heart is that we as His people would know what His Word says. But here's something that really got my attention. Uh, when you see these things played back in the, in the headlines, they're sad in light of people not knowing what they are. But what got me is, and I assure you this morning that I'm not having you sit here to go through this kind of mindless banter with me. I'm going to get to God's Word, but I wanted to set the stage for you. Because up until now, what I've talked about is the world's culture. And there is truly a strong worldly culture out there today. But what I want to transition to is a culture or something that is supposed to be very important to us in the United States of America, and that is our faith, specifically Christianity, specifically. And I say that because more than eight out of ten Americans profess to be Christians. That is the profession that they tell you when you stop them and poll them on the streets. And what is amazing to me is when you do the same set of interviews, the men on the street interviews with the Christian populace, those that say eight out of ten of themselves are Christians, very few people who profess to be a Christian can answer basic biblical questions when polled in the same manner. And I'm talking about simple questions. Very few can do that. And I find that very disheartening. And I think you're beginning to see my point when I say something like that to you. We profess to be a Christian nation that is laced and tracking from one side of the populace to the other with Christian families. And I want us to talk a little bit about what that means, but more importantly, I want to talk about what God tells us that we can do. So if you see my point, it's this. The more the world's culture begins to fracture, and it is fracturing as, we, as we're talking this morning, and it splinters into more and more insignificant little groups, the same effect is being had, in my opinion, on the very bedrock that Christian faith resides in. I really feel like the Christian bedrock is being shaken by these things that are happening to today as well. So listen up. Please look at me. Please hear what I'm going to tell you. It is important. Jesus Christ came to make us new creatures. That's what He came for. He died on the cross so that that could happen. Not so that the world would shape us. Not so that we will blend into the pop culture. He created us as children after His heart so that we can share that heart. Just think about Matthew 28, 19, and 20 where He tells us to go therefore and spread His gospel around the world. That's what He's telling us to do. It's incredibly important today that teachers and pastors cling to God's Word and proclaim it honestly and truthfully like God's Word says to you and to me. It is, in, it is the most important issue that I can lay out in front of us today that we understand what God's Word means. We need to pray that God will give us the desire to know His Word. And I'm telling you, that's what has to happen. You have to pray to Him to give you that desire. It's not something a man can give you. God can give you that as a desire of your heart. 
And I am imploring you this morning, and I'm going to share with you now some several scripture passages that I hope will point you in that right direction. We can help erase biblical illiteracy in our country and in the world if we will commit to being what God wants us to be and what he has designed us to be. There are very few things in my mind that are more obvious and alarming in the times that we live in than mental laziness that I see very evident in my own life. Please understand me. I'm talking to you about things that I'm battling with. And as I prepared this week, God kept showing me over and over. If you're going to stand and say these things, you need to be serious about them. I'm praying every day that He will let me be serious about His issues. But as I look around at all of you, I'm praying that He will let us all together be serious about His issues. This room full of God's people could set this community on end. If only we would be serious about who He is and what He wants for us. But so much for the bad news. I took a little more than ten minutes to get you to that point, but I want us to focus on the good news and the solution to that. There is no quick and easy summary to what God's Word says for us to do in this particular case. But I am going to tell you there are several things. I'm going to read you from First Psalm. If you want to turn to First Psalm, I'm going to read First Psalm 1, not First Psalm, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6, which is a chapter. And then we're going to walk through about eight or ten passages very quickly to let you see what the emphasis that God places on His Word. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I'm going to tell you this is, this is Scripture that is easy to understand. And if it's not coming through to you, I'm going to tell you that we need to be on our knees saying, God, show me, let the desire of my heart be to know what your word means. Because he's telling us that you're not going to be blessed if you sit in the counsel of the wicked or you, or you stand in the way of sinners or you sit in the seat of scoffers. He's telling us point blank, if you want to be blessed, here are the things. It says, but his delight, that man's delight, is in the law of the Lord and God's word. Blessed is the man who is delighting in God's word. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That is an incredibly wonderful scripture passage, as are all of those that I'm going to read to you this morning or share with you. So when you look at this issue about people not knowing God's Word and not having it hidden in their heart, what do we need to do? I believe there's a particular discipline that is so important for all of us to take to heart. It's something that we teach in VBS, for example. It's something that as a young person, your parents and grandparents said, you really should memorize this Scripture passage. There's probably no one here who hasn't hidden some passages of Scripture in their heart. But it becomes an important issue in the world that we're living in today to know what God's Word says. I'm going to tell you, I was blessed to have a lady named Sherry Gusa who grabbed me as a young, at a young age and excited me about learning Scripture passages. I look back today and I am so, so thankful that she cared enough to take the time with me and a group of my friends to teach us the books of the Bible, 
and to teach us core principles through Scripture passages that have carried with me all of these years. It is very, very important that we do this. And there is nothing in my lifetime that has ever come to my rescue more than having God's Word hidden in my heart. Nothing. I was reading a book by Chuck Swindoll in the last few weeks, and he made this statement. He said, I can still recall more than one occasion when the memorized Word of God rescued me from sexual temptation. He said it was as if God drew an imaginary shade, something on the order of Venetian blind, between me and the person that I was involved with. And written on that blind was one of my favorite scripture passages that I learned as a young person, Galatians 6, 7, which said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And he said it bailed him out time and time again. And my point to you this morning is that God's Word will hold you up, will lift you above the fray time and time again, if only you can go to it when those times erupt in your life. There is nothing like Scripture to bail you out when you have issues of anxiety or loneliness or depression. And I know nobody here has had any of those, but if you did, God's Word would be critical for you in order to help you through those situations. I'm reminded of so many wonderful Scripture passages, and we're going to look at some of those. But the point I want to make this morning is you cannot have a better companion than God's Word, period. End of statement. You cannot. It's physically impossible to have a better companion. The first thing I want you to... I'm going to give you five things real quickly, and I'm just going to make a a sentence or two comment about each one. Ways that we can absorb God's Word. The first and the easiest way is by hearing it. That's what's happening this morning. You're going to hear God's Word proclaimed. We're going to read several passages and talk about what they mean. But you hear God's Word. It is the simplest and the least difficult method of learning the precepts and the principles of the Bible. And if it goes this direction, I had a man say to me once, he said, I don't want to read it. I want you to tell me what it says. That's not good. The idea is that we should want to, and I pray that God would give us the desire to want to read His Word. The second thing we can, I mean, to hear His Word. The second thing is to read God's Word. It requires more personal involvement. But if you're a visual learner like me, it's much easier to take God's Word for me and to look at what the words are saying than it is for me to hear it. And so I think each person is different. If you're an auditory learner, Listening is a great thing. If you're a visual learner, it's good. If you do both, it's better. And so the idea is we can read the Scriptures. And that's, you know, when a person has a Bible, if you walk in and you lift it up from the table where it is in your house and there's dust all around it, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about dog-earing your Bible and wearing the pages out and making it be written in and, and be excited about it. And that leads me to the third thing we do, which is we can study God's Word. And I have found through the years, it's, it's at this point that people begin to really be serious about God. When they sit down at a table with a pen and a paper, with a reference book, with a commentary, with a Greek or a Hebrew dictionary, and they start searching what God's Word means and what it says, it's at that point in their life that God gets a hold of them. And I'm going to play back some of the promises that He gives us in this Scripture this morning. There are people that will go and take correspondence courses. There are great churches in the area that, give, that have huge resources, Mom, just mammoth churches. There are great seminaries that give you resources. They're, they're available. And I'm standing before you today telling you that it's very important that we be looking that way. The fourth thing is we can meditate on God's Word. As Scripture is heard, as it is read, as it is studied... 
what begins to happen is your mind becomes a reservoir of spiritual matters, of God's Word. It will become a reservoir if you do those things. And those truths need to be thought through. You need to ponder on them. You need to personalize them. You need to use them on a daily basis and apply them in your life. You see, it's, it's through times of quiet meditation. I read this account last week. It said it's through times of quiet meditation that we allow God's Word to seep, love that word, to seep into ourselves. And I was thinking about my sweet friend Gary Gambrell gave me some hickory boards and Gary, I was planing one last week. And a planer is a machine that takes the outer edges off, makes it perfectly straight. It's beautiful when you get through with it. And then I sanded it. And I took a sponge and put stain across that board. And it was sitting on the top. And I watched it seep into the very pores of the wood. And it changed the character of that wood. Get ready, friends, because God's Word will change your character. He will change you to what He wants you to be. He will make you be what He has envisioned when you cry out to Him and say, God, deal with me, use me, spend me. I want Him to spend me. So meditation is important because it allows that to happen, to seep into us. And when it does, what happens is this. God's Word begins immediately to speak to you. It will reprove you, it will warn you, it will comfort you, it will do all of the things that He has told us through Scripture that He will do. One of the great passages of Scripture, if you want to turn ahead to Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, I want to read that to you, and then uh, we're going to jump into in fast succession to five or six Scriptures this morning to make my point about hiding God's Word in your heart. Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. Did you hear that? God's Word is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. And there is no creature hidden from His sight. There is nowhere to hide from Almighty God. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to give account. It is incredibly important. I hate to keep using that word incredibly, but it is incredibly important that we take God seriously about what His Word says. And there is no better way to do that than to jump in and learn it yourself. If we are focused on Him, it will change the way we live our life. If this nation were focused on Him, it would change dramatically the way our country lives today. And the same thing is true about the world. The fifth thing we can do is memorize His Word. And I'm going to stand here and tell you this morning, there is no more magnificent way, period, to replace deep, dark, alien, demoralizing thoughts that bombard you. There is no better way to do that than through hiding God's Word in your heart. There is nothing that will replace those thoughts more quickly than that will. I know of no more effective way to cultivate a biblical mind or to accelerate spiritual growth than this particular discipline of memorizing Scripture. I don't know of anything that will do a better job. And you know, the wonderful thing about it is Satan doesn't linger when you're quoting Scripture. There's nothing that I think is more exciting than to think that you have some issue through what God has given you to help him turn tail and run. 
Now, there are a lot of sayings throughout the Bible that talk about this, but I'm going to focus really on some of what Solomon taught us in Proverbs because Proverbs is a great place to go to understand about memorizing Scripture. These are printed in your bulletin this morning from this point forward, starting with Proverbs 4.4. I'm going to read them. Some of them I will slow down, but I want you to let them sink into you this morning in light of what we've been talking about, in light of this battle between the world's culture and Christian culture. 4.4 says, Then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. I want you to notice those words, hold fast, because in Hebrew those words translate into grasp, to lay hold of, to seize, to hold firmly. And it's the same verb that we see in the next passage, which is Isaiah 41.10, which says this, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will, what does it say? Uphold you with my righteous right hand. That word uphold is from the same verb that's in the previous verse. Scripture memory gives us a grasp on God's Word. It gives you a firm grip of confidence on the Bible. And as God's Word gets a grip on you, my friend, it will uphold you through the most difficult of times. I am a testimony to that. I promise you that He will uphold you through the most difficult times that you can ever face in your life. When you wake up one day and one of your children is gone, He will uphold you for the remainder of your life in all things. Proverbs 6, 23-23. This is written as a warning against adultery, but it applies to every phase of your life. Listen to these words. My son, observe the commandment of your father. And do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. If you go back into that verse at the beginning, it talks about to bind and to tie. Scripture memory ties the truth of God to you. That's what it does. When you memorize it, my friend, you are tied to Him in a way that is undeniably wonderful. When you've hidden God's Word in your heart, He will remember this upholding you when you have His Word hidden in you. The word that's translated bind means to tie together. And I've learned that scriptures correlate so much better when we store them up in that reservoir that we were talking about earlier. When you store God's Word up inside of you, they correlate. And you know what happens then? They help us to come to terms with life. That's what it does. Things make better sense when certain scriptures are in place in your head. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I know many would go up. It's frustrating when you can't recall a scripture passage or a verse that you would like to share with someone. When you know, I know something that could help you, but we've not cared enough to commit it to memory. It's, in, it's once again very important that we do that. Proverbs 7, 2 and 3 says this, Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching as the apple of your eye. What is the apple of your eye? Your favorite thing. Keep my word. My commandments and live and my teaching, let it be your favorite thing. When, you're, when God's teaching is your favorite thing, God is your favorite thing. 
Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. There are no clearer verses I know of in Scripture that, that point to memorization than these. When we write something, as it says there, write them on the tablet of your heart. When I used to memorize something in school, the teacher would say, write it out longhand, exactly like you're going to say it back to me. Don't make any little faux pas as you do it. Make sure it's exactly as you want to give it back to me. Because you cannot be sloppy or incomplete with your memory work. And above all things, you don't want to be sloppy or incomplete when you learn God's Word. It is essential that we be exact and thorough when we memorize. And then Proverbs 22:17 and 18. It says this, Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your mind to my knowledge. God wants us to apply our mind to His knowledge that He's given us in His Word. That's what He wants us to do. Apply your mind to my knowledge. And then He says what? He said, it will be pleasant if you keep them. What is them? If you keep my words within you. You keep my words within you, it's going to be pleasant that they, that my words may be ready on your lips. God is challenging us openly in His Word to hide His words in your heart Keep them on your lips so that you can give them back when they're needed. And those times will come much more frequently once you've done what He's asked us to do. Because He knows I've got a soul over here that is committed to who I am and to my work, and I'm going to pass many things in front of Him to do just that. You want to be an effective witness? You hide God's Word in your heart, and you watch what He does in your life. I love those sayings, and they constantly encourage me as I read them to see what He means about hiding His Word. The idea of having His Word ready on your lips, just that one idea, should convince us of the importance of maintaining this discipline of memory, of Scripture memory. It should be very important to you. And like I said, I don't know anything that would chase away some of these cultural issues more quickly than doing just that, than hiding God's Word in our heart. I'm going to conclude with a practical suggestion and one more Scripture passage. The practical suggestion is this. Once you've memorized it, you need to use it. It's nice to know that you've got it hidden in your heart, but it's very it's imperative that you use that Scripture passage. And I know some of you, by the way, let me back up, are sitting here saying this morning, I'm too old to memorize Scripture. It's hard for me. If you ask God to give you the desire, it is not too hard for you. I'm telling you right now, God will pour it into you faster than you can even imagine if your desire is there. And if it's not happening, I question the fact of whether you really have a desire to hide it in your heart. That may sound harsh this morning. I don't want it to. But I want us to be serious about who God is. I want us to be serious about chasing after Him. And the way you do that is be serious about what His Word says. Use your verses when you've learned them. You use your verses in prayer. You use it in conversations with people when you're counseling other people. Use it with your children. Use it with your grandchildren. Use it with your spouse. God will bless your life. And He will bless theirs when you tactfully share His Word. Isaiah 55, 10, and 11 is one of those great promises. I'm going to read it slowly. And I'm going to ask that you don't look at it in your bulletin. I'm going to ask that you look at me, as hard as that might be. Look at me and let me talk to you about this passage because it is one that you need in your hip pocket for the rest of your life. It's very important. 
It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout. So you've got the picture. God is sending rain and snow to the earth. He's watering the earth. He's making it bare and sprout, bearing fruit, sprouting all kinds of vegetation. We're living in the midst of that right now. It's amazing as that's happening. And he says, And furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He's taking care of us is what he's saying. I'm going to take good care of you. But then it changes. And listen to what it says because this to me is just some of the most phenomenal passages especially with regard to hiding God's Word in your heart. It said, it shall, So shall my Word be which goes forth from my mouth. Like the rain and the snow coming down from heaven, so shall my Word be coming down to you that comes forth from my mouth. It is not going to return to me empty or void. It's not going to return to Him that way without accomplishing what He desires and without succeeding in the matter for which He sent it to you. I hope you'll contemplate or meditate on that today. That is powerful Scripture when you understand that God is serious about us taking a stand in this life. If those things I said to you early on in this sermon this morning had some kind of a mental impact or image in terms of the culture that we're being confronted with compared to the culture that we should be confronted with as Christians, I pray that you will be serious with God about it. I pray tonight when you pray with your family or with your spouse that you'll say, God, show us how how to to make a stand for you in the way I live my life. You want to see a difference? That's what will happen. And I pray that God will let this little light of mine shine until He decides to take me home. And I pray that you will desire that He would let it shine in your life until He takes you home. And He is going to take us all. And it's important to me today that we understand exactly what that means. So as I conclude this morning, I say to you, please understand the magnificence of your Maker and the desire that He has for you to chase after Him. Let's pray. Father, I do love you. I love your word. I love the changing quality that it has for all of us, how it will change us, how it will seep into ourselves, how it will build character, how it will reprove us, how it will warn us, how it will comfort us, how it will give us everything that we need. I pray that we'll leave this place with the mental image that you have made all the provisions if we would get serious with you. I pray that every person in this room today will go home today and pray that you would give them the desire to know your word and to hide it in your heart. Let it change us forever. This I pray in your son's precious name. Amen.